Hello, everybody. We are back and uh, ready for another LifeCast episode, which we decided that that was going to be the name. Yeah. Um, not through a lot of committee voting or anything like that, uh, <laughs> but it just kind of happened. So Dwayne is here with me. This is Keith. Yep. Hi, this is Dwayne. And we are happy to be able to be together, uh, although unfortunately not in the same way we were last time. Last time, Dwayne, you and I were able to find a table to sit across from, but uh, we're right. socially distanced a bit more today. So you're in your own house and I am in mine. <laughs> yes, so how, wonders how's of it, technology. How's it going over there? Have uh, have you guys gone primal into complete, completely self-sustaining and eating the roots in your backyard and things like that? Yeah, no, not quite. Uh, if we were... If we were uh, going to have to rely on our farming skills, we'd have been dead long ago. So <laughs> making strategic grocery runs, but we're we're all pretty safe and sound locked up here in the house. And we are thankful for the many people who are helping us not have to forage for food right now in yeah, our yeah. stores and all the healthcare workers out there. So, all right. Well, uh, well, let's let's hop in. We've we started talking last week about this conversation that we had that we're calling "Ways That Jesus Is the Way," and that idea is is kind of a broad overview of what it means to talk about the gospel or the good news of Jesus and how it's multifaceted. And so it's not it's not as simple as saying, "Well, Jesus is just the way to God." Well, that's good and that's that's great. Or Jesus is just the atonement for sins. Well, that, that's good. Or Jesus is just kind of the way that we move beyond religion. There's so many things in there that we want to take a week and talk about four different characteristics. Right. It's not, it's not the kind of thing that we can just uh, breeze over. And we want to hit some of these foundations as a church during this time because it really does change how we view kind of this quarantine season of our lives. Our view of God affects every single part of our life. And uh, if we have a view of God that is fully formed and and robust and we understand what Jesus was up to in the world, then it changes how we're going to use this time that we're in our houses or caring for the people around us. Yeah, I think it's incredibly important during times of, of crisis or just times of unusual uh, uh, stress and strain I mean, we talk about Jesus being the good news, the gospel, the way, um, but but this is kind of where the rubber meets the road, right? I mean, how how do we actually live out his teachings? How do we actually, um, you know, embody this good news, this message that is the gospel? And I think that's revealed in times like this. So so it's terribly unfortunate that this is happening, but it's also kind of um, important that we uh, that we include that as part of our teaching, right? That we're talking about this today in light of coronavirus and the fact that we're all trapped in our houses for, for weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that we can actually have time. Cause we, one of the phrases that many of us heard, if you grew up in the church was like, you know, time to do some business with God, right. Um, time to, <laughs> time to sit with Jesus in some new ways and, and, uh, and be changed and deepen that relationship. And so there's, there's lots of good stuff and that, that really relates to today. So last week we talked about how Jesus is the way that we are rescued from sin. And we, we talked about the understandings of the atonement and, and the power of the cross, uh, but also how, how broad and multifaceted even, even that is in the work of, of Jesus in absorbing our sin and, and putting to death even the powers of death themselves and separation. Right. So this week, this week, we get to move on to our second statement, and that is that Jesus is the way that we experience God's love. And so we're going to talk about love quite a bit. 
And, uh, and thankfully, the reason that we're talking about love quite a bit is that the, the Bible talks about love quite a bit, especially uh, in light of Jesus in the New Testament and, and his work. It's seen as an expression of love. But in 1 John 4, which uh, on Sunday morning we will have talked about, uh, once you're listening to this, you will have already, if you joined us on our digital gathering, you'll have heard this passage. But in 1 John 4, we read uh, that love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. That's what it says in uh, 1 John 4, 7. goes on to say that uh, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. That statement is then repeated in verse 16. God is love. Now, the interesting thing about that is that love in this way is, is a, a noun and not an adjective. And so instead of love being kind of a, an adjective descriptor like so many other things are when God is spoken about in the Bible, this is intended to be unique. Uh, the, the idea that this is the essence of God's character is not the same as saying that God is loving, right? Yeah, yeah. God, God is loving is saying that this is the type of being that God is. When we say God is holy, we mean that God is, is separate fully in, in a unique way from all the rest of creation, but it's still a relationship to the, the rest of creation that is required for God to be holy. Yeah. Uh, for, for God to be compassionate, there has to be an agent for God's compassion to be, uh, to be expressed toward. For God to be just, there has to be uh, an, a situation of oppression that needs being righted. So all of these characteristics that we talk about of God being are actually not saying that God is blank and using a noun there like this statement is. So to say that God is love is intended to not say God is love and also God is just and also God is holy. No, to say that God is love means that this is the essence and everything else flows. So it's not, it was, so what you're saying, what I'm hearing you say is that love is not an attribute of God. Yes, I would agree. Yeah. Yes. That, love that it's is, bigger than that. It is the it essence is. of, of it, God. It's the God essence. is love. And yeah. this, is, this is why, I hope we don't get too off track here, but this is why our friends who might be outside of the Christian uh, expression, when they talk about the power of love, we need not be afraid. In my opinion, those, those people are seeking after what they sense is God's power in the world and, and don't have the same language for it that we do. That's an open door instead of just, oh, all they do is believe in love. So do we. <laughs> we just believe that love has a name. And, and so, so there's, there's such power in, in understanding that even according to the scriptures, what love is, is exactly who God is. They are one and the same. Very kind of trippy when you get into it. Um, yeah, but and one of the things I've always loved about this this passage in First John is is the idea that God is love, but also love is God. Hmm. I mean, it's sort of like the inverse thing. And yeah, again, not, not to not to take away from anything. You know, I, I think people could misinterpret that. I think, but but the idea in my mind there is that that anything that is purely and truly love, there's God in that. Because yes, love and God are together. They are the same essence. And and that's yeah, yeah, there's no there's no type of if it's genuine love, there's no type of love that isn't connected to God and and is an expression of God. So when we see somebody expressing love in its truest way, we are able to recognize the spark of God in that moment. 
uh, and 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 we get to claim all of it. <laughs> Everything under the love umbrella gets to be claimed as as God's realm. Yeah. So so, anyways, the the Bible does talk about various types of love. Um, remember. Most of our New Testament was written in Greek, and our Old Testament was written in Hebrew. So there's different words. There's three main words that are used in the scriptures to talk about love in the New Testament. And, uh, and those three words are uh, phileos, eros, and agapos, or um, what we would often say agape, love. And so the first, the first two uh, are about how I feel towards somebody. So phileos is where we get Philadelphia from. It means this familial love, like brothers would love. It literally means brotherly love, but it, but it is supposed to be encapsulated. The, the love that I have for my family members, deep affection, uh, the love that I have for close friends, deep care, right? Yeah. And so that's, that's the first one. The second one is um, eros, and that's romantic love. Also, it's about feeling. I have this, this desire for another, right? It's about attraction. It's about... It's about um, it's erotic. That's where we get that word, right? So, so those are the two, and they both are about the, the way that we feel, really strongly feel. But then there's this other word, and this is the word that's used most primarily in the scripture, in the New Testament, to talk about God's love and when we're called to, to have love for one another, and that's agape. And the characteristic of agape is not about feeling, it's about doing. Okay, so it's about a love that acts for the good of another, regardless of the cost to oneself. So agape love acts for the good of another, regardless of the cost to oneself. And so it's, it's, it's this love that, uh, that is always focused on the sake of another. And, and the way that we kind of understand the trademark of that love, according to the scriptures, how do, how do we recognize it? How do we see it specifically in God is that it, it's, it's preemptive. Okay. And so in first John that we were just talking about in verse 19, uh, what we read is we love because he first loved us. So you, you see that the, the, the reason that we are able to respond to God's love is because God was preemptive in God's love. God went first. God reached out. Uh, Romans 5 talks about this exact same thing, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And remember last week, Dwayne, you talked about sin a yeah. lot or a little yeah. bit about missing the mark, right? And right. so moving away. And so while we were moving away from God, God was moving toward us. Do you see the preemptive nature of that that sort of thing? It's a love that always takes the first step. And I, I yeah, really... I, think I was just going to say, I, I think there's a sense of, of selflessness in that idea of agape. There's a sense of uh, loving no matter what you get in return kind of a thing. Mm. Um, I love that phrase preemptive love. Uh, but this whole conversation just reminds me of just sort of the con the contrast of those two words. I won't get into it a lot cause it's not the point today, but, but there's that story after, you know, after Jesus, um, is, he's on the beach with Peter, right? And he mm -hmm. says, Peter, do you love me? But he says, do you agape me? And Peter answers, you know that I phileo you, right? right. So he's answering with a different word. He's like, I don't know that I can get to agape right now, but you know you're my brother and I care about you deeply. Yeah. And so Jesus eventually condescends. And then the third time he says, okay, do you phileo me? And yeah. then he says, yes, you know, I phileo you. And I just think yeah. that idea of no matter how, no matter whether whether or not Peter had the capacity to to have agape love for Jesus, Jesus had agape love for him, and that yeah. that to me is a beautiful, beautiful picture of it. Doesn't matter what, you know, God's not in this for something in return, right? He loves us uh, 
no matter what. And I, I, that's why I love that preemptive phrase. I think it's so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I love how N.T. Wright translates that passage as saying like, do you love me, Peter? And he says, Jesus, you know, I'm your friend. Do you love yeah. me, Peter? You know, I'm your friend. And then the third time Jesus says, Peter, will you be my friend? <laughs> like, I'll, I'll work with you. It's yeah, an incredible yeah. moment. Um, and a lot of people don't know that because our English language doesn't show that. Yeah. Uh, but that's that's great. Yeah, this, this preemptive love, even now we'll talk about our role in a minute, but I want you to see in the Sermon on the Mount how much this preemptive love is highlighted as who God is, right? And, it, yeah. and it's in the passage that Jesus teaches us about loving our enemies. You've heard that it was said, this is Matthew 5, 43. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why? That you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and good and sends his reign on the righteous and the unrighteous. Listen to this. If you love those who love you back, what reward will you get? That's responsive love. Yeah? If you love those who already love you, you know, what, what, what's the big deal? You know, you've already been told to do that. Anybody can do that, right? Um, are not even the tax collectors doing that. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that. Be perfect, which means be moving toward completion. Telos is the Greek word there, as your heavenly father is perfect. So as your, as your father is complete and consistent in his love, always willing to go first, you yeah. do it too. And when you do it, what will you be? You will be children of your father in heaven. Verse 45 of chapter five. That's, that's what it means to be children of your father in heaven. You, it means that you will bear the family resemblance when you take the first step toward your enemy by loving them. Mm-hmm. You, that, that makes you like God because God's love is preemptive, always, always goes first. So, so to put this all kind of together so far, we, we established th- through the scriptures, God is love. All right. That's, that's this, this blanket statement that that John makes after having spent all this time with Jesus later on in his life he makes this declaration that God is love and and we believe theologically then that Jesus is God that's step two and and we don't yeah. believe that again I don't know how many times if you've been around you've heard us talk about this over and over and over you know Jesus is not like the nice side of God Jesus is not um, kind of the the way that God's lovingness is shown and then God's holiness and justice are, are shown somewhere else. No, it's all there in Jesus. Jesus is, mm-hmm. as Hebrews says, the, the son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Really important words. Colossians 1 echoes that. The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Jesus is the image of God. So if we believe that, we believe that God is love and that Jesus is God, Therefore, who is Jesus? Jesus is God's love made known. If Jesus is God and God is love, right? Yeah. And so so this is is what we're going to dive into. If Jesus is God's love made known, then how are the ways that Jesus makes that love known? We said it always looks like going first, laying your own life down. But but how, what are some of those characteristics? And before we get into that, um, there was a, there's a seminary professor and author named Jared Bias, and uh, he, on social media earlier this week, post, posed a series of three questions based on all of our experience right now with coronavirus and uh, social isolation and reflection that, that he said might be helpful. And I looked at it and I found them profound. 
But specifically, one of the reasons that I found them as profound questions was because I was thinking about them in light of, of how we understand and experience God's love through Jesus. So here yeah, are the I questions. I think it's important oh, to say here. Yeah, it's important to say that that I know we're on a podcast right now and we don't have our whiteboard and we don't have our, our PowerPoint. So if you've got a pen or pencil handy, write these questions down because Absolutely. they're really, really profound. I, I agree totally. So yeah, go ahead, Keith. Yeah. And, and his questions were, the first question was, what have you lost over these weeks? It's, it's just an honest question to say, as you think back over these days, what have you lost? All right. Uh, the second question was, um, what have you not lost? <laughs> what, and what, what hasn't been taken? Some things have been taken. That's the first question. What, what hasn't been taken and what are you realizing about, about that? What are you learning about what hasn't been taken? And the third question is, what have you been given during these times, during these last, this last week? What have you been given? So what's, what's been taken? What have you lost? That same question. What haven't you lost? What are you, what are you learning about? And then what have you gained? What's been given? And those, those three questions um, are, are important because I believe that the love of God as expressed in Jesus speaks to each of those three things in terms of how we look at them. Okay, so, so let's, let's talk about the characteristics of the love that Jesus reveals. Um, that first question of what have you lost is a really heavy question. Some people have lost uh, the ability to connect with their own families. Some have lost income. Some have lost a sense of security, right? even just in sitting around being afraid of, of getting sick. Uh, some have lost sports seasons and school years. Some have lost um, their own autonomy. So many parents are giving up so much right now in, in caring and trying to help their kids get their schooling right. Uh, so, so anyways, when we think about that, what is, what is the love of Jesus speak into this? Well, one of the things that we notice is that the love of God that Jesus shows patiently bears our burdens. And so when we think about what we've lost, the love of God comes in and understands in Jesus. Uh, we're told in uh, Hebrews 4, when Jesus is compared to this, this high priest, it's a very uh, Jewish understanding that because Hebrews is written to Jewish people and he's saying, look, compare Jesus to a great high priest, kind of your, your spiritual leader that goes before you and, and is the go-between between the, the realm of heaven and earth. And he says, listen, we don't have this high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. This is Hebrews 4.15. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And the point is there is to say, Jesus has empathy. Jesus gets the human experience. He gets loss. What happens when he, um, Dwayne, when he interacts with his friend Mary and Martha after Lazarus has died? Yeah, after... Like, what do you mean? Like, like his emotion, right? Is he, he, oh yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And so, so this is, this is a Jesus that, that understands human pain and feels it with us. And that is so significant that we, that we encounter a love that bears burdens. I I, I can't get over how, how much that is. Do you want to say something? Yeah. I just, you know, I'm drawn, I'm just drawn to, to some of my friends in my meal community, right? And, and as we share about what's happening um, in our lives, there's certainly a sense of, of loss that a lot of us have experienced. And you yeah. just kind of mentioned it. And, 
And so many of us who, who rely on our connection with other people uh, and, and going and being around other people, we've, we've lost a lot of that. And I think this, this idea of, uh, I mean, start, just start with the very idea that God condescended to become human. I mean, that, love yeah. putting himself into our context into our uh sin riddled and pain filled life um i think that's a, a beautiful and amazing thing and to me that is what what jesus brings in, in this equation is to say that i i am there i have been there i am with you in the midst of your grief in the midst of your suffering and loss right what does jesus say when he's in the garden my my soul is overwhelmed yeah. with sorrow to the point of death right Think about that, that understanding of human emotion. Yeah. Overwhelmed, totally. overwhelmed to the point of death. I, I, yeah. We don't. Yeah. We, we often joke about how relate. Jesus is not just like floating two feet above the ground, you know, and walking through. Yeah. I mean, he's really getting his feet dirty. He's really. And some people thought that. And, and yeah. that was considered a heresy, right? You know, that Jesus wasn't really human. He just appeared human, but God could yeah. never do that because it would be too low for God. To even, yeah, uh, yeah. to even, to even enter into the human flesh, and that's that's the exact opposite of the point of a God who bears our burdens, you know. Yeah. And so, so there's the physical empathy and understanding of Jesus in a love that patiently bears our burdens. But there's also the the spiritual, the spiritual weight lifting that Jesus is willing to do to actually change that experience. So not only does Jesus come alongside us and sit with us in our pain, understanding what that pain is and what those losses are, but actually offers to, to, to lift them from us. You know, in Matthew 11, Jesus makes this incredible statement that says, if you're weary and burdened, come to me and you'll find rest. If, if, you're, if you're feeling the, the pain and the sting of those losses, come yeah. to me and you'll find rest. Yeah. And he actually uses this image. It's an a image of both um, an ox pulling something in a field as well as what a rabbi's teaching was called, which was a yoke. He says, take my yoke upon you yeah. and, and learn from me. And he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So, so I will take the load that is on your shoulders. I will bear most of it and I will allow you to keep moving though, keep moving through it and it'll become easier and lighter because I'm walking with you. That's a hard thing to tell somebody, right? That's different than just buck up. Um, but, right, right. But it's still difficult. But we do truly believe that when Jesus is walking along with us, our burdens and our losses, uh, they, they aren't as heavy, that, that God, God actually helps us continue to take steps through yeah. it. So what about that second question? What has not been taken? Like, yeah, we know we've so, lost some things because of this crisis. Right. What have we not lost? Yeah. And I think that I think that, that question speaks to something about God's love that brings awareness, right? When we ask the question, what has not been taken from us? Because sometimes you and me and all of us are tempted to go into a pretty dark hole, right? Yeah. Like, oh, this is all so horrible. No, I, you know, life is, is bad. It's really helpful to ask the question, what hasn't been taken? And in order to ask that question, you have to look up and become aware yeah. of things. You have to become aware of what matters and who matters. And one yeah. of the things that I find fascinating is that this is what Jesus does all the time in the Gospels. Jesus promotes people's awareness. He, he tunes people into what matters and to who matters so that they can identify what life is all about and what it ought to be all about. There's this, uh, this story in Mark 10 that uh, is told in multiple gospels 
but it's such a, a fascinating story. It's Jesus is dealing with um, a, uh, a rich man. Okay. And he comes up to him and he, and he kind of wants to beat the system. He's a very devout Jew. And, and he said, he's, uh, he's done all these commandments. And so his question is, what, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And we're not going to get into the whole story behind it, but, uh, but Jesus gives him a list. He says, follow the commands. Jesus knows where this is going, by the way. So he knows what the guy's asking for. And he says, well, just follow these commands. Isn't that enough? And, uh, and, and the guy looks at him and he says, teacher, all of these things I've kept since I was a boy. So I have followed the commands. And the, the implied statement there is I've followed the commands, but something's missing. You know, regardless of what attitude we, we want to you know, push onto this guy. But Jesus looks at him, and here's the statement in, in Mark 10, 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Okay, really important statement for so many levels just so that we know what he's about to say, what Jesus is about to say is an expression of agape love. It's the agape word is the, is the word that's used in, in the Greek here. Jesus looked at him and loved him. So what he's about to say is about loving this man. One thing you lack, he said, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, the interesting thing about a story like that and why I thought of that when we started talking about how God's love awakens us or make us, makes us aware of what matters is that Jesus asks a question that awakens this guy to two things. Number one, to, to the, the hold that something had on his life, which was his, his wealth. And he also awakens him to the care, to, to the call to care for the poor. To, to be awakened to the needs of others. And so all of a sudden, he says, Jesus says, here's, if you really want to experience the fullness of life, here's what life's all about. Number one, it's not about money, and that's what's got a hold on you. And number two, it is about loving and caring for others selflessly. And, and all of a sudden, this guy's eyes are opened, and he's, something gets exposed in his heart, which is kind of hard for him. But, but there's this awakening and an awareness that God's love always brings. And that's not always easy, right? Yeah, yeah. I think Elisa and I had a conversation about this. Was it last night or the night before? Um, uh, just talking about, you know, wondering what what this crisis is going to change in people's lives and perspectives, right? Because, mm-hmm. um, well, well, you know, let's face it, we're a culture of workaholics in America, and we all think that, you know, work, 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 we have to work more and work more. Um, and, and so, <laughs> the circumstances prevent a lot of things from happening right now, right? It's like, yeah. okay, I can't, yeah, have no I can't have, right, exactly. I don't have a choice. I, maybe I can't go to work or maybe I can't have all these meetings or maybe I can't get certain things done. And, and it does bring a heightened awareness of the things that are important. At least it has that potential, right? The, the, this crisis does. And so mm-hmm. in the same way, I think the love of Jesus does point us to those things that are important you know, relationships with people, uh, caring for the poor, the kind of things that you're talking about in this rich young ruler story. I think it's, that's absolutely valid. And, and I just, I love that image. And I, I think that God's love also awakens us to the priorities that are off as we come. And as we're loved by God, our eyes are opened again. And some of us see like, oh, wow, I have a workaholism tendency here. Oh, wow. All of my trust is in my money because the stock market plunged and felt like it ruined my life, right? You know, different attitudes about different things. And so when when we experience God's love, we become awakened 
to all that is still good and all that is available and, and our priorities start to get straightened out. And boy, is there any better time to straighten out our priorities right now? You know, even right. for crying out loud, whatever you feel about politics, even Congress passed a bill together, you know, might not yeah. be great, <laughs> you know, who knows, but, but like, is there any better time? That's highly than right unusual now? in and of itself, right? Highly <laughs> unusual, right? Yeah. Um, so, so regardless of, of any of these other things to say, this is a time, this is a time for us to, to say what really matters. And, and can I, can I become aware of that? Um, because yeah. if, if I'm experiencing God's love, I'm going to look at the world differently. I'm going to look at myself yeah. differently. So, so God's love bears our burdens, right? So that's yeah. in the category of what have we lost? And then God's love awakens us to the things that are important. And that's kind of in that second question of what has not been taken away from us. And then your third question yeah. you mentioned was what, what new things have we been given? What have, what yeah. do we now see that we didn't have before? And that, that speaks again, a little bit to awareness, but it speaks to a love that blesses us. Uh, I, I think that that's really important. Sometimes we we think about love in all of the transactional ways, um, but but walking around simply understanding that we are worthy of love is a life changing experience. Uh, yeah. In in another spot in First John, before uh, John makes the declaration that uh, God is love, he says, uh, "How great is the love." again, agape, that the Father has given us or that the Father has lavished on us that we get to be called the sons and daughters of God, for that is who we are. And it's like he's shouting through his pen. Yeah. Like how great is God's love so much that we get to be called God's kids. And yeah. not just that we're called that, but it's actually who we are. We are God's children. How awesome. And so there's an emotional aspect to this that when we know that we are loved, it's just like many of us when you're dating, right? When you fall in love with your spouse those first weeks, you just walk around just stupid happy, right? Yeah, yeah. You, you just all, you're, you're like bouncing up and down and you get this silly smile in the most ridiculous <laughs> moments. And, and because, because our emotional level and our outlook on life is completely transformed when we know that we are deeply loved. And, yeah. and the, the inverse is true as well. When, when we're not sure if we're worthy of love, it totally affects how we go about our day. And so, um, you know, so many of the beautiful, amazing people in our world who have been adopted into a new family, so many of them go through this really challenging emotional battle of why, why was I given up for adoption? Am, am I worthy of love? And, uh, and obviously we know that sometimes love is the motivator for someone um, to, to give a child up for adoption. Sometimes it's not. But the point is that when we know that we are loved, it shapes us deeply. And when we mm. don't know that we are loved, it shapes us as well. So when we have had this declaration over our lives, regardless of what we've been through, that in Christ, we are God's children. We are deeply loved. When we know that, it allows us to walk through the world with hope and with confidence and with freedom. And that's what blessing is really about. There's this shift that, uh, that we get in the Bible from blessing being primarily physical, often in the Old Testament, um, to blessing being about the presence of God with you. Yeah, Jesus right. Blesses, he blesses his disciples in what is in John 20, 20, and, and says, I will be with you, and he breathes on them. That's a blessing, right? Yeah. Uh, that, that's not saying you're going to have great crops this year or I'm going to increase your, uh, your, um, your livestock. 
right? That's, that's often how the Old Testament sees blessing. And it, it gets transformed over and over as we meet Jesus into this understanding that what real blessing is, is knowing that God's presence is with us. Yeah. And we have a responsibility there too, yeah. though, to, to enter into the presence of Jesus, right? And right. I think the challenge is we, we all are like Peter, right? We're all like, you know, Jesus is saying, do you agape me? And we're saying, well, I'm kind of your friend. I want to be your friend. But <laughs> the difference between us and Peter is that Jesus is not in the flesh for us, right? Yeah. So how, how do we love and receive love from, from a Jesus who is not physically present? Well, it is by being present with him. And whether that happens to you via uh, worship and singing or reading the Psalms or contemplative practices, mm-hmm. I mean, the idea of entering into the presence of Jesus has a transformative power that I think sometimes we don't talk about enough. Yeah. And so I think that's a huge part of what I'm sensing people are experiencing now in the midst of this coronavirus uh, crisis and being kind of trapped at home. It's like, well, what do I do? Well, what, what you do is what we should always be doing, which is to kind of double down on prayer and meditation and contemplation and worship and all those things. Yeah, right? this week this week we started a very simple practice of noon yeah. prayer every weekday from 12 to 12, 10, 10 minutes as a church for anybody that wants to just click on the link and hop into the Zoom room. And that'll continue, by the way, church, that'll continue this week. Uh, the same same link, it's on our Life Path Church uh, digital hub page. But, uh, you know, that idea of being proactive, it changes your outlook, right? So not only do you, do you get in touch with Jesus in a, in a way that reminds you that we are blessed by God's love, regardless of whatever else happens this week, regardless of whatever else our life circumstances are, that we are still blessed, even in the most unlikely of circumstances. Uh, when we realize that, it changes the outlook on how you walk about the rest of your day. And yeah. all of a sudden, you're more aware of what God's priorities might be because you have been set free from this self-obsession that most of us walk around with. Yeah. So it, yeah. it, it gives us new opportunities, which is really, um, which is really the second part of all of this. You know, we've talked about receiving God's love, but it, it really is, is then shifting. And we, again, we will have talked about this on Sunday morning a little bit, but, uh, but let's kind of turn, turn the corner here because we're talking about the gospel in all this. This is the good news, right? And so it might be almost uh, self-evident of asking that question. So why is this, why is the fact that Jesus is the way that we understand God's love, why is that such good news? Well, obviously the first thing is that we know how much God loves us because of Jesus. We've seen that the love that God has for us is at the level of laying down one's own life. And that, according to scriptures and according to all that we know, is the greatest form of love, right? Yeah. Self-sacrificial. And we see it in Jesus. We see it in the way Jesus cared for people, but we also see it in the way Jesus died. And so, so we know how much God loves us, and that makes this such good news. And then the second thing is because of that, because we've received God's love, and because God's love is all love, right, as we established right at the beginning— then that means that the more that we receive God's love, the more capacity that we have to love other people. Um, I, I think it's it's similar to the uh, the Grinch story, right? Uh, which I love. But at the end, when the Grinch, when he experiences, <laughs> when he hears yeah. them singing, even in the most unlikely of circumstances, they're supposed to be really upset that he stole their Christmas. But instead, Christmas wasn't about their circumstances. It was yeah. about the spirit within them. And we can liken that to the love of God. 
regardless of any circumstance. And when he is impacted, his heart grows three sizes. Something in him changes. But what's the evidence of that change? Then he goes out and loves in new ways, right? right? Yeah. And so it's this, it's this balance of like our heart grows the more we become open to yeah. receiving God's love. You know, it reminds me of uh, the story of the Good Samaritan. And I think so many of us get the point of that story wrong because mm. we're, we don't understand Jesus's setup to that, que- to that story, right? The, yeah. the, Jesus had just given the command, the two greatest commandments. He said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second greatest command is just like it. And that is love your neighbor as yourself. That was the setup hmm. because then the, when the Pharisee asked, well, then who is my neighbor? You know, because the Pharisees were trying to trap him again. And there was this idea that, well, the command of, of love your neighbor only means to love your fellow Jews, right? Right. So then Jesus tells a story about a Samaritan who finds someone, a Jew, who had been beaten up and robbed, right? And the Samaritan takes care of him. He nurses him back to health. He pays the innkeeper, et cetera, et cetera. You probably know the story. But but the point is not be like the Samaritan, right? Because then mm-hmm. at the end of the story, Jesus says, which one of these was the neighbor? Was it the two guys who passed by or was it the Samaritan? Who was the neighbor to the man who had been beaten? And the answer was, well, obviously the neighbor is the Samaritan. So let's take it back to the original statement. When Jesus says, love your neighbor, he's not saying love the guy who's been beaten up and needs to be saved and needs to be helped. Mm. He's saying love the Samaritan. The Samaritan is the neighbor in the story. And why I think that's profound, obviously we should help people who've been robbed and beaten up. I mean, we need to help the needy. <laughs> that's that's not what he's saying. But Wrong but takeaway. Exactly. The, I think the right takeaway here though is that Jesus is saying, look at this person who is different from you, who worships differently than you, who is maybe a different ethnicity than you, who you have always seen as an enemy to you, and look at the goodness in that person. Look at Mm -hmm. that this person is also capable of showing compassion and mercy, and they are your neighbor. Love your neighbor. To me, it's Jesus saying, love those who who are different from you, who express things differently, who look differently. And 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 I, I was reminded of it, Keith, as you're talking about finding finding newness, right? Finding things. God's love kind of, uh, let's see, how did you say it? It, it, it blesses us because we're yeah. able to find the new things that have been given. So to me, it's like looking around and saying, yeah, there are a lot of people out there who, who deserve to be loved. And, and so the, I don't know, it's, it's, to me, it's less about the Samaritan part, going out and doing the work of of that, and it's more like Jesus saying, "Love, love everybody. Find the goodness, find the love, and wherever you find the love, that's God." And again, going back to that Matthew passage in Matthew five at the beginning of our talk, um, you know, that's that makes us like God. <laughs> that yeah. makes us God imitators when we look at everyone with through this lens of love and compassion. Just like God sends sends his son and sends his rain toward everyone to water the earth, right? You know, it doesn't matter if you're deserving or not. It doesn't matter if you're Jewish or not. You still get the water for the crops and you are deserving of it. And that's the same job that we have. So, so when we are impacted by God's love, whether we deserve it or not, we then do the exact same thing to the world and reflect yeah. that same love. I almost wish, you know, you mentioned around. the Grinch and I love the Grinch story, but I almost wish there was a, a sequel to the Good Samaritan story. I wish we we knew what, when the guy mm-hmm. woke up in, in the inn and realized that he had been taken care of by the Samaritan, yeah. 
did his heart grow three sizes? Did he go out yeah. and and love yeah. all the who's and who Did he start standing up? Did he start standing up against yeah. people who uh, who would say horrible things about Samaritans? You know, right. since the Jewish right. people and the Samaritan people had such enmity between them. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's a great question. Hmm. Well, so so again, let's just get back to that preemptive love as we send people out, because I think a huge question of how we live as disciples in this pandemic is asking that question of going first. And so, so we just want to leave you um, as you're listening here with that, that question. So, so for personal reflection, right, it's worth thinking about God's love through the lens of what have I lost? Jesus bears that with me. You know, what, what have I not lost? Jesus helps make us aware and awakens us to what matters. And what have I gained? God's, God's love is blessing us in unique and surprising ways all of the time if we're alert to it. So, so those are the personal internal questions to ask. The external questions to ask about a love that is, that is uh, proactive and that is preemptive. The external questions are, how can I be the one to make the first move mm. in our world? Uh, yeah. How can I reach out with the same sort of proactive love that I see in Jesus? So we can, we can receive God's love internally and ask ourselves really good reflective questions. But then, then we need to think about, okay, what am I going to do to imitate, to image Jesus into the world? And that means I'm going to have to go first in some new areas. And please, church, we know this. It does not mean that you, you, because you're stuck at home, you can't do anything, right? You know what Anything I think is amazing about yeah. this opportunity is that everybody is experiencing the same thing. Yeah. Everybody is stuck at home. It's almost like leveling the playing field in a way, right? Like it's always, sometimes it's hard to look into people's lives and, and realize, well, they might be struggling too, or maybe they have things hard as well. Everybody's in the same boat. Mm-hmm. So how do you love other people? Everybody's trapped at home. Everybody's dealing with this, with this crisis. Yeah. So hopefully those will be maybe some worthwhile questions to talk about with your meal communities when you gather, uh, but also to, uh, to be reflecting on your own. And, uh, and so that's, that's where we're at. We are happy to be able to uh, have this conversation today. And next week, we'll talk about uh, how Jesus is the way that we understand God's kingdom uh, in, in, a new, in a new perspective. So thanks, everyone. Be well. Thanks. And uh, may Jesus be with us as we continue this path of receiving and expressing God's love, even in the midst of surprising and difficult circumstances. Absolutely. All right. Peace, friends. Goodbye. Bye.